Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You join us in the aftermath of a thoroughly exhausting, emotional and inevitable night of Manchester United football. Ewan, it is far too late past my bedtime. How the devil are you? Um... I'm just a bit upset, really. I mean, it's been a very difficult. It, why? Why? Why could you possibly it's just be upset? Been a very you difficult what? night emotionally. You know, I feel like there's something that we need to address. Uh, you know, the loss of something very important to us all, uh, really, in the grand scheme of things. I think okay. we're often taken for granted. So I just want a, a moment of quiet reflection, if that's okay. Yeah, you you have well, my you interest and okay, my attention. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I We've all thought about Upton Park over the years. <laughs> and let's be honest, we've taken it for granted. And perhaps not thought about it in the way that we should have done. It's the best day of my life. Right, I'm done. <laughs> I am applauding in my room, good sir. Oh, that has genuinely made Worth my night. It. Ladies and gentlemen, I did not know that was coming. Um, Welcome to the Red Voices podcast. <laughs> oh, actually, I'm not even that upset about the football anymore, but bear with me, I'll get there. Um, what, what a ridiculous what evening. <laughs> yeah, and like, first first off, like before we even get into it, I... Honestly, didn't even know that the stadium was called the Berlin, Berlin Ground until like two weeks ago. And all of a sudden, now it's not Upton Park anymore. And why? What? What's the... I mean, I saw a very interesting tweet actually saying that if a equally successful club to West Ham, but from Yorkshire, was moving stadiums, that it just nobody would care. But it's because it's a London club, isn't it? First time I ever, First time I ever read an article with reference to the Berlin Ground, I didn't know what they were talking about. I didn't. I mean, but it's actually been quite bizarre just how over the top, actually, the whole sort of ceremony and and narrative around it has. I mean, not even, I won't even say in our lifetimes, but in the past couple of years, we've seen, you know, City move to a new stadium, Arsenal move to a new stadium. We've seen, you know, even even more sort of emotionally, uh, I guess, evocative stadiums like, like uh, what was it, the Dell? We saw Southampton move. I mean, that... It's mad how many bigger, more successful, established clubs have moved from more historic stadiums with, you know, a fraction of the fanfare. Where, where did this all come from? I've absolutely no idea. I mean, I can't honestly say that Upton Park, for me, is an outsider's perspective. Is it is, sorry? Where? Oh, where? Oh, sorry, yeah, the, the Berlin ground. I do beg your pardon. Okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Have I got twenty lashes by meanies from Green Street? <laughs> I'm not going to get bottled, am I? Elijah Wood is not going to be happy with No, him. no. I did find it very funny when people were tweeting photos from the actual Green Street movie with Elijah Wood in them <laughs> saying, please are on the lookout for these gentlemen having bottled the United team bus. Speaking of which, I mean, oh, that was that was absolutely ridiculous, just the way that whole situation went down. Yeah, I mean, on a, on a more serious note, it was staggering just how long that that version of events was ignored as well. I mean... We had the Manchester United team bus. I mean, you know, some more sort of details about the whole evening and how it transpired the way it did have come to light in in the sort of time since the game has ended. But the outrage that United had the audacity to be late to the game was just palpable. And it was so misplaced. I mean, Dave Sullivan saying, well, they should have been here at four o'clock. I mean, and do what for four hours? Um, United left their hotel a good two over two hours before kickoff, and it was a five mile journey. It's not unrealistic to expect that they would have gotten to the ground in well, good time. Most, Dave Sullivan was mostly just annoyed that his uh, post show uh, extravaganza had been mucked up in terms of logistics and the timing yeah. and everything. You know, had he actually known what happened to the bus, I don't think he'd been quite so insensitive. But it was incredibly misguided and really, really informed of him. And when it was pointed out to him that, he, that what had happened to the bus, he said that you just wait, you'll see that bus when they get here and there won't be a scratch on it. But um, what was your initial reaction when you when you saw some of the footage that was, was uh, sort of doing the rounds on social media with, with what was happening? It looked a very volatile atmosphere, to say the least. Scary. I mean, 
just imagine being in the bus, being a young lad in the bus, or just being anyone in that bus, and then seeing the window smashed all around you. That's been pretty mm. scary. I mean, I think the one thing that actually made it a bit less intense was seeing Jesse Lingard's footage. I know that's been absolutely just lambasted from pillar to post so far tonight, just by people who saying that the players should, you know, have a better sense of decorum in those sort of situations. But it's such a crazy situation to find yourself in. I don't think we can define behavioural standards for United players in this sort of situation. I, I found that completely and utterly crazy. I mean, the whole... It's clear that there's been some sort of planning nightmare that's allowed this to happen where the fans were able to stop the bus. Obviously, there was a bit of a quote-unquote carnival atmosphere and there's a lot of probably better seen that some drinks took place. Badly handled, and I, I really don't think United can be pulled up to... Uh, you know, I don't think they can be put to account for the way things happened. And I'm pretty sure the FA have got enough footage and enough information to go on to punish those who actually uh, were culpable. Yeah, and, and fair play to to um, it's just to West Ham. Eventually, I mean, it has emerged in in recent hours that um, they are going to be using the assistance of the authorities to identify the perpetrators of this kind of nonsense and they'll be handed bans, um, which is only fair. Um, I thought the reaction um, from the <laughs> sort of media and general, you know, ex-player commentaries and stuff like that was, was very, very entertaining. I've, I've, you know, I found it puzzling and baffling just how many people <laughs> took the, well, in my day, that was Roy Keane etc you know it was just like well you know it's a very 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 tense situation and that and i'd imagine it was quite intimidating and people react in different ways um now what they should have done is ripped off their suits smashed the windows themselves jumped out and bottled the west ham fans instead that's what real men do kev well they should have thrown the bus at them shouldn't they it's uh, (laughs) but i mean you know, everybody's gone. I'm sure, actually, um, Jesse Lingard's behaviour. And let's be let's be clear for a second. He was joking. <laughs> it is it probably sort of, if anything, probably decreased the tension on the bus. I mean, what? So what I found. So I find that stance that well, if they were hard, they'd be hard. Sort of stance uh, uh, baffling. What I find hilarious are the people that don't realise he was joking and think that the United players and Jesse Lingard were genuinely cowering in fear. Yeah, I mean, it made the whole situation uh, a bit sort of less intense, really, didn't it? It was nice to see that they weren't absolutely terrified by the whole situation. It didn't really have much of a bearing, or nor did it make any sort of difference on what we saw afterwards. Well, the thing is, like, I mean, we, we, we've we had 100 games of Van Hal now, just somehow. And God, is it 100? Can, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, can, I feel like I've aged centuries. <laughs> <laughs> and you can well that's because every game feels like a year um and you know it's 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 not it's not we've seen so many games out of van hal now and it's it's almost like people are shocked that that we played badly and it's like well no it's just more of the same actually um but as they so often say it's the hope that kills you and somehow even still there's something to play for in this season. Um, but before we get into all of that and what comes next, let's just take it back to the start of the night. Um, we were presented with a lineup which on paper looked like he'd finally started making better decisions. Now, there, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of mitigating circumstances and a lot of comment to be had in retrospect. But what did you make of the team sheet, um, generally speaking? Same old really, isn't it? For every good thing, you could take a couple of... Uh positions and uh, choices and just say why on earth is this still happening I think it laid to rest this notion that Van Gaal will push you to the fore if he feels like he's got the right players you know Tim Fossey meant to tweeting that picture sat on his sofa watching the game watching the warp and everything and then you know Marcus Rocco starting Antonio Valencia starting Rocco is at a terrible terrible month in the starting lineup he's done nothing to justify playing other than you know as we said presumably saving van Hal's life well so, he often could he often couldn't get in the team when he was playing better i don't understand why these two are playing when we've got better options not only that young viable good options who have not only done well when they come into the side but you know done they've outperformed the players that they replaced it's just ridiculous I mean, the whole idea of Schneidlin, uh, Rooney and Mata being in that, that midfield trio, sorry, yeah, Pereira being in that midfield, midfield trio, 
again, you're just thinking, okay, well, this is uh, this positivity here. And then sort of thinking matter out, yeah, matter being on the wide right again, you're just thinking, well, gosh, is he even going to get into the game? And you just knew looking at some of these decisions with the intensity that you just knew West Ham were going to you know, be able to muster up, especially because they were so under the weather for the most part in the FA Cup replay. You're just thinking this is gonna. This could be a very, very difficult night if we don't manage it well. We don't keep the ball, and if we're not prepared to try and reach that level of intensity, because it's we it wasn't it, it, on paper. It wasn't going to be an easy evening, and that's exactly how it proved. Yeah, well, we were under the cosh from the first minute, weren't we? Um, in terms of the lineup and your comments about Van Halen youth, I think he's quite the contradiction and, and isn't that just a story really? of, of his of his time at United but he he obviously has some sort of faith in youth because regardless of, of what you point to about you know weaknesses in the squad and having no choice but to play players you know if he'd wanted to he he could have he could have filled the United squad full of backup average players and you know some people might say that's what he's done um, but what I'm saying is he has also made the choice to leave himself with a small enough squad that he has no choice but to call upon the younger players when he has injuries. I think, though, to contradict that, what you've also seen is if a senior established professional in any given position is available, he's definitely going to pick them over the young player, regardless of form. So he's willing to give youth a chance in terms of his squad structure and in his willingness of bringing on players and, and, and chucking players in when he had out of necessity. But he's definitely not willing to give him a chance if a more senior established professional is available. No, I mean, you look at Martial and Rashford, the reason that those two have played so much is essentially because they've scored goals and they've been very important to, you know, in Rashford's case the last couple of months and in Martial's case, all bloody season long. Yeah, with no one else. I mean, we've got Memphis, but he's been chucked out. And, you know, it's... Timothy Fosumensa, you know he'll he'll have he'll he'll be back because he's too good not to be. But Timothy Fosumensa has gone the way of Guillermo Varela, as as Rich said in the recent parties in the dungeon. Um, it's just no, he he's not willing to tolerate uh, mistakes. He will give up on players. So it seems to be all or nothing. And he he will play if 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 a player is doing well, he will play him every single game. But it doesn't take much for him to give up on the player completely. Um, I, I was actually really happy with the starting lineup, with the exception of our fullback choices. Um, I thought, considering the players we had available, considering the players we knew that would be involved, I was just glad it wasn't Fellaini in midfield and Rooney up front. You know, so it it, it, it would have been Fellaini in midfield if it could have been. Yeah, that's true. Um, talk me through the first few minutes though, because it was, yeah, we didn't start well. Shockingly. Why do you want me to talk you through the first few minutes? Okay, um, because I am a masochist and not the kind of one that Van Hal talks about, yeah? Um. You're an absolute sadist. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, the first few minutes. Uh, well, I mean, they were... They were... Yeah, actually, no, no, no. You know what? You know what? No, let's just talk about the second half. First half summary. They went ahead. Well, no, no. We, we do we do have to to a certain extent, don't we? I mean, uh, let's be quite frank. No one had a good first half in our in our team. No one at all. Daily Blind, you know, obviously rested at the weekend, and he has been one of our more consistent performers. But as we've spoken about before, he has got errors in him, and when he gets out of position then he finds it very, very difficult, slash next to impossible, to actually recover the situation. Schneiderlin had a really rough half, you know, especially with uh, the marking for that goal, mm. allowed Lanzini in, and then Sacco and Rocco decided to... Sorry, uh, Blind and Rocco just decided, well, I can't really be bothered marking Sacco. Sacco got a little bit lucky with that first goal deflected off Blind's shin, and Dave had no chance. And then Daley Blind deciding that he was going to play his own offside trap for that Andy Carroll chance, and... Andy Carroll with acres and acres of space for that speed demon Andy Carroll. <laughs> Gracious. Oh. And then, thankfully, Dave managed to, to keep it to 1-0 by getting out quickly. He should have scored, though. Doing his normal one. Oh, absolutely, he should have scored. It should have been 2 or 3 nil by half-time. We were absolutely turgid. I think we had one chance. Uh, that was Marcus Rashford header that ended up being, uh, I think it might have been, I can't remember exactly who actually managed to just chest it out, which went maybe a half-metre well of the post. But beyond that, no. Uh, a... A staggering new low for United first halves. That was, yeah, and you know, it's 
it wasn't that surprising considering the night that was in it considering the type of manager we were up against and the way he gets passionate sort of really really demands a lot from his players um I'm not surprised that it went down the way it did considering the hyper emotionalism of the night and the fact that whatever way you slice it arriving at a stadium late rushing through your warm-up and starting the game late it it, it does throughout your preparations although i will not accept that from van hal (laughs) but um (laughs) that's a double standard but i think it's all about the intensity isn't it it's about trying to react to the situation and be able to go about your job in the best way possible now because we've been playing this very prescriptive football for the last you know almost two seasons now and because we only really know how to play one way, when we come up against a team who is, you know, biting into challenges, pressurising us on the ball, not giving us time to settle, we really, really struggle to deal with it. We haven't got an answer to that situation still. And it's happened enough times that you just want to sort of shake Van Hal and say, look, this is absolutely going to happen tonight. West Ham are going to be up for it. What are we going to do to combat this? And he had absolutely no idea. He just thought, we're just going to do what we did every single time the situation has cropped up or every single other game and just hope that it works. And what an absolute fucking shocker that it didn't. Um, there we are. <laughs> you seem upset. Um, no, maybe a little bit. But, but the thing is, like, um, it, <sighs> it, we've touched on this so many times, uh, so I won't dwell on it, but we've got a system that has no margin for error and needs perfect implementation to work. It needs everything to go well. And we have needed either our players aren't good enough to pull it off or the system is outdated and not fit for purpose. Either way, the fact that 100 games in, we're still trying it, is insane. It is just insane. And you put on top of that the fact that Van Hal obviously polarises the dressing room. He probably has some players that would walk on fire for him. And then you have other players who obviously are just counting the days until he leaves. And you cannot function in a struggling team and you cannot turn a struggling team into a successful team if you polarise your dressing room and you're applying tactics that don't work for the personnel that you've got. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me at all um, that we had such a terrible first half because we are a team with whose confidence is just built on sand. And I know I'm mixing all my metaphors here, but it's just not a surprise anymore. And that is the probably biggest indictment of his time at United is that it is so, so expected now that this is who we are as a team. Well, it, it, it comes as a surprise when we score goals in these sort of situations, But we did doesn't it, it twice um, in the second half. Talk to me. We did. Well, no, did we? I think it was more... He. Well, I guess that first one was certainly quite an actually well-worked team goal, to be fair. We swept forward. It was incredible. Uh, Rashford to Mata. Mata with that great touch inside and the flash across the goal. Martial there just to tap in from close range. Great team goal. Really, really nice to see. And I think that was our first shot on target of the three. <laughs> I mean, technically, if if you know, if you want to talk about stats, a sixty-six point six recurring percentage successful uh, goal-to-shot ratio tonight. Yeah. Did you see that ridiculous? Uh, Makes all did the you difference. see that ridiculous tweet from? I mean, I I love stats out of context, and I love stats within an agenda. But I, I like you could poke plenty of holes in this tweet, but. Um, Miguel Delaney posted a video or, or a reference to an article and essentially said that United had more shots in, I think it was 1996 versus West Ham in 12 seconds than they managed in 90 minutes last time. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it was good, though. It was good. Oh, my um, But, yeah, no, to, to, to talk about the goals for a moment. Um, I'm sad now. When that first goal went in, it was just from nowhere, wasn't it? Uh, just a big, long punt reaches Rashford who knocks it just outside to Mata who actually has a really really good change of pace gets to the byline knocks it back across and West Ham goalkeeper actually punches it or gets a touch on it and it takes it out of the defender's path and it just falls right to Martial it was from nowhere I burst out laughing (laughs) I was just like how has this happened but hey we were back in the game and that's not something we do too often not only back in the game we got in the league yeah um so here, here's my question: Was that was he trying to cross it, or did he mean it? I think that's yeah. a cross. Come on, I mean Rashford was there. It, it was only it wasn't too far away from getting to Marcus. So my instinct says cross, but 
I'm not really. Good. I mean, you can't take it away from him because it didn't touch anyone. I think Randolph, but actually, he's had a shocker there, hasn't he? He's the biggest perpetrator there. <laughs> oh god! I mean, if he just stands up, I don't think that's going anywhere. I don't think there's any danger there. He's just he's gone down far too early and made it completely easy for Martial there. Ridiculous. I mean, there's 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 getting beaten at your near post and there's leaving a three foot gap down. whilst you lie on the ground so that the player's miss hit cross goes inside you and it's no it was just it was I actually thought when I saw it because it hit the side net in the way it did I was like that's taken a deflection or, or a defender's got a toe to it or something like that it just, I couldn't make sense of the flight of the ball um, but incredible incredible change of pace and run from Martial and for a player that plays out wide he's got such a presence and a threat in the box um, and out on the wing as well he's just I mean he seems like he's both a striker and a winger at the same time at any given moment and it's and it's just where would we be without him 16 goals this season now 17 17 17. Uh, it's one of those thoughts similar to De Gea where I just start thinking I don't want to start thinking too far in the future with these two. I just want to hope that whatever happens this season, the next season, one after that, that they stay where they are. And this is why I'm so worried about United's long-term future. These two have been so integral to United this season and could be such a big part of our future that it, it will come as a huge blow to whatever short-term slash long-term success United have if they don't have the presence of De Gea and Martial. I mean, obviously... You can always bring in other players and try and compensate for that. But you look how terribly we're dealt with, you know, trying to compensate for the loss of Ronaldo. You know, trying to find a, a top class goalkeeper is not does, does, isn't guaranteed to be particularly easy, considering that we're not actually very good at buying most players. And then with a talent like Martial, if we let him slip through our fingers, it would just be, oh, it'd be absolutely terrible. It'd be a crime because he's got so much ability he's still so young and he can still get so much better i mean it's interesting like uh in ferguson's autobiography he talks about the point where it got to full united with ronaldo where it became less about how it, it just became more about how long can we hold on to ronaldo for how long can we keep him for and that was when united were winning league titles and winning champions leagues um so i dread to think the answer to that question should we continue our current trajectory? <laughs> because the answer is going to be not very long. And we won't have had the benefit of, you know, three incredible years and him winning us the Champions League when he does leave if we don't get ourselves into shape immediately. And the thing is, we touched on it in the last pod, but imagine in four or five years' time and you see Martial, one of the best players in the world, absolutely tearing it up for somebody like, I don't know, Barcelona. PSG, Madrid, or any sort of competitive club, Bayern Munich, and thinking, we had him and we just couldn't muster together a good enough team to give him the foil to do what he could really do for us. Worse than Pogba. It'd be a worse situation than, you know, because I don't know if you know, uh, Paul Pogba actually played for us for a little while and then he left. I've heard that rumour. Doesn't ring a bell, actually, does it? No, no. Oh, I mean... uh, that is worrying enough but let's concentrate on the very worrying uh, thought that yet again United were in the lead and a situation where we needed calm heads composure and a bit of stability and we've got yeah, none no, of them well it was just <laughs> it, I mean every, a lot of people said it so this isn't going to be a particularly original thought but it was just Wolfsburg all over again wasn't it it was getting our noses in front in a difficult game but not having not being able to be reliant enough on our midfield and our defence in order to see us through difficult situations and not to concede silly goals. 17 minutes ahead in a huge must-win game after City had you know, absolutely handed fourth place to us on a platter. All right, going to Upton Park this season has not been easy at all. So it wasn't a, a straightforward assignment. It, certainly not, you know, f- especially for a team like us who are just so woefully difficult at dealing with these kind of situations but still just to have the opportunity to deal with it you're just thinking noses in front 20 minutes to go we've just got to try and see this out because we weren't making chances you know our goals came out of absolutely nothing so you were just hoping that a bit of defensive stability was going to be able to turn the game around and perhaps we'll be able to get through but I mean again a hiding to nothing I don't know why on earth I thought that we were capable of doing that I think we woke them up with our two goals I think 
the two goals which we scored, both of which were from nowhere, as you said, they didn't come off a period of good play. They they came from a period of West Ham taking their foot off the accelerator ever so slightly because they were ahead and us hitting them twice on the break. Um, two really good goals, but two from nowhere, two snap goals. Um, and then they came back at us and it was just never in doubt. And as soon as the first one, first, when I say the first one, as soon as the equaliser went in, that was it. It was just so inevitable you could have bet your house on it and it was coming and it did and you know you couldn't fault them the result because they should have been out of sight by half time so it's yeah it's not good because surely if this United team have any desires on any future success under this manager with two games to go against mid-table opposition we should be able to win both our games if it's in our hands. If it's not, then what are we doing? If it's not possible, what are we doing? Because I don't know the answer. That's a genuine question. What, what are we I doing? I mean, how long have you got? <laughs> we just buckled, perhaps as bad as we've ever done. You know, stupid, stupid free kicks considered left, right, and center in difficult positions against a team that is great at set pieces and very good at putting us under pressure I think they both came as a result of crosses from set pieces I think Payet crossed him for uh, I think it was Antonio's equaliser again nowhere near him and then it was uh, I think it was a Valencia foul that led to uh, the third goal that was Sacco and again no one really anywhere near him that could have done any damage you know we've spoken so much about you know how how great we are at keeping clean sheets and the fact that we've got what the second best defense in the league it's all just built on this fact that we sit with so many men behind the ball that teams find it difficult to get through us and if you actually you know West Ham have proven that actually if you've got the right approach and you've got enough pressure on the ball and you've got enough people willing to be physical and disrupt us it's actually very very simple to score against United yeah, I mean, what what it did do is it put paid to the theory that United had suddenly become a revelation in defence. That Van Halen had to, you know, to paraphrase, he had sorted out the defence. Now all he needed to do was sort out the attack. The only reason he sorted out the defence is because he deliberately put in place a game plan that focused on keeping possession and not taking any risk and keeping all of your men behind the ball, and as a result, you know, shielding the defence greatly and not ceding any chances. So it also meant we couldn't score. It also meant we hadn't posed nothing in attack. What's happened now since is he's tried to attack. By the way, that's the, we still can't do that. <laughs> and it's meant that it's opened the floodgates at the back. Last night, we needed leaders. And say what you want about Van Hal, You know, and I have and I will, and so will everyone else. But last night was also about the players on the pitch. And we are lacking leadership, especially in the spine of the team. And where was our captain last night calming us down? Where was our captain showing leadership? Where was Chris Smalling and this, you know, apparent one of the best defenders in the league that he's morphed into? He has disappeared in the last third of this season. He has off the face of the earth. And one of the reasons is, all of a sudden now, he's having to do more actual defending. And he's been exposed by the midfield because we're in games that we're trying to win. And it's actually the team is incapable of attacking without conceding. And if we do defend, we can't attack. (sighs) Lovely, cheerful podcast for you folks. Lovely and cheerful. It's very difficult. You know, you try and approach situations like we did with the Spurs podcast and just try and look at things a bit flippantly, you know, with a little bit of humour. But it's so difficult because watching United is such a humourless and joyless experience. And and the the, the gravity of it all is just getting more and more real with each passing game, isn't it? Because the season's coming to an end and it's just all gone to pot. Well, I mean, a part of me just wants the whole quest for a top four spot to be over. I mean, not necessarily because I don't want Champions League football, but I just want to know that it's... it, it's over and it's done and there's still that that annoying frustrating glimmer of hope that should City lose at the weekend and we beat Bournemouth that we've somehow snaffled a, a place that we don't absolutely deserve at all yeah I mean it's it's a testament to just how poor City have been that they've managed to keep pace with us I think <laughs> no City are the Premier League an explanation if we get top four yeah they do 
They do. Um, and, you know, so poor has our performance been if we do get top four, as we touched on last week. I've got no confidence at all. Norwich. Let's talk about Norwich. Norwich. Oh, yeah. that was fun. Mm, it was just as bad, but with a better result, right? Two teams that needed to win that didn't really know how. That's true. And uh, trying to just trying to outshamble each other. And somehow Mata comes up with just something from nothing. Well, he scored that goal from a comedy of errors. You know, Bassong missing the header under basically zero pressure and Rooney proving that, unfortunately, he's just not fit to be a striker for United anymore. I think that was definitive proof throughout the entire game. But I think in particular that chance, had he had a little bit more pace about him, a little bit more, I don't know, oomph, then I could see that going in the bottom corner because a couple of years ago he used to, to gobble those chances up for breakfast. You know, he'd do a little bit of running cut inside and that'll be a goal. But it it felt like he'd completely ruined it. And f- good, fair enough, good wherewithal to actually realise that Mata was there and pass the ball off and a really nice first-time finish from Mata. But it came from absolutely nothing. You know, United created sod all, all afternoon. We, were at, we, we improved slightly after the break, partially because Norwich were content to just sit off us and try and hope that they got something on the break. But again, for a must-win game, United were turgid, absolutely turgid. This is the worst thing though at the minute, it's just these two performances. We've got an FA Cup final to be looking forward to, you know, it's just a showpiece occasion, and when we've been starred these over the last couple of years, something to look forward to, but it just feels like because there's this ongoing certainty about who's going to be in charge next season, this massive worry that Van Gaal is still somehow going to be in charge, regardless of what happens, even though he obviously shouldn't be, because we've underperformed so drastically in these massive games which we should be winning or at least you'd hope that we win or at least put in a better performance it doesn't feel like you can look forward to anything at the moment because it's just everything is just laced with such uncertainty doesn't feel like we deserve it that seems like such a self-righteous thing to say and i will be over the moon if we win the fa cup no matter however it happens because regardless of van Hal you know whether he stays for another year his time is coming to an end at some point and we have a lot of young players in this squad who who would benefit from the experience of winning something um so i will be over the moon if we win the fa cup but it's almost like you look at and people will call it like a vendetta and it really isn't but you look at the, what's been served up this year on a consistent basis by this team and it just it's so unjustified should we happen to make, um, you know, and so undeserved should we happen to make top four and win the FA Cup. I mean, this season, this team, these performances, they don't deserve to be able to say fourth in a cup, Champions League in a cup. And that's what is so worrying. I think I'd be able to enjoy it a little bit more, any success that comes somehow at the end of this season, as you said. If we knew Van Hal was gone, if we knew he was off, if we knew that it was because I think what we're all really afraid of is that he'll somehow achieve one or both of those goals and it'll be used as justification for him staying on when actually it just can't be. <laughs> it just can't be. Oh. Well, no, I mean, this this brings into to question before we go into Twitter questions, it, it it's something that perhaps we haven't focused on enough. In particular, you look at the way the Renato Sanchez deal has gone this week. Yeah, we were hearing reports on sort of Monday that and you know, and previously for months of you know, United scouting Renato Sanchez over in Portugal pretty much every single week. And even up until Monday we were hearing that this is how much the the deal was going to be done. So it was going to be forty million euros up front and forty million add ons. And it all seemed very, very plausible and straightforward. Now, we've all been, you know, we, we've done this before. We know when you can smell bullshit on a transfer rumour, right? Because we know roughly who we should be listening to and who we should be avoiding. You know which sources or which writers, to a certain extent, are talking the truth, which have got a chance of getting it right and which have got a chance of getting it wrong. With Renato Sanchez, it felt completely plausible. It felt like a good idea and it felt like a really straightforward deal that we can complete. And then, of course, what happens? Buy and swoop in, from what we hear in a very, very short amount of time, gazumpus and take away a player that apparently we've been laying groundwork for for months. 
It's just the most typical United thing. It's so indicative of everything that we hear about the club and how they conduct themselves. Obviously, we've got to try and take it with a pinch of salt because we don't know everything that goes into these transfer scenarios. We just don't. But it just fits in so well with the established narrative of United taking forever to conclude a deal. And then, you know, briefing this sort of cocksure attitude that we're going to be getting players and this is how much and we're going to be offering and this is how much you know, we're going to be paying and these are the players that we're going for. You know, We saw it last summer with Pedro. You know, Edward would absolutely gasping to brief that he's going off to Barcelona and then suddenly it all just falls apart and Chelsea sign him. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, uh, please don't misconstrue this as sympathy for Edward Woodward, but sometimes I think we want to have it both ways and what I mean by that is we will kick off when we overpay for a player. But simultaneously, we will kick off if we drive a hard bargain and somebody else pips us to the post. Um, I agree, he should be able to get it right. And if Bayern come in and are, have spent two days negotiating for your player, that's when you stop with the hard sell and you say, right, okay, we'll pay the money, we want this player. Um, and there comes a point where your driving a hard bargain, in inverted commas, just becomes indecision. And, 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 well, I mean, if yeah. that that whole idea that we had been we we'd stopped interest back in February was so it's nonsense. horribly transparent. It's nonsense. It's utterly nonsense. I mean, I have no connections to United, <laughs> and I have no inside information. But the people that get these things right, and the people that wouldn't go big on it unless there was something in it, there's just too much smoke without fire for there not to be fire on this one. And it is without question that from the people that have been reporting it and the general way it was reported both the reports about us having almost agreed something and the the brief about us now suddenly we pulled out in February both came from Woodward and both were you know fitted to suit his agenda at the time well he blamed Van Hal you know he sort of said Van Hal called an end to the interest which I mean even say if he's if he's lying and we just got gazumped by Bayern who are you know in fairness a much more attractive proposition Okay, well, there's not really that much you can do about that apart from, you know, get the deal done quicker, perhaps. Um, but then if he's telling the truth and Van Gaal made the decision a couple of months ago not to sign this young player, then it, it just shows that Woodward is operating on a level that none of us can really comprehend to the extent that he still thinks it's wise to leave Van Gaal to make these decisions when he's proven over, over over a year and a half, almost two full seasons, he's not fit to lead United on from where we are now. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole LVG pull the plug on this is a bit of a spin, the same way as it was about us. Moyes pulling the plug on Thiago and, you know, Van Gaal pulling the plug on Tony Kroos. So it's funny how we always seem to pull the plug on players that choose to go to other clubs. and um, Never wanted them anyway. <laughs> never fancied them. They, they're not that pretty. You know, it's not new for United to be snubbed uh, when players want to go to more attractive propositions on the continent. Even when United were at their most competitive, Manchester, and I love Manchester, but Manchester to a Europe, to these European players didn't hold the same sort of attraction as London or some somewhere like Paris or Madrid or Milan or Turin, you know, and it's that's that's totally fine. I mean, Ronaldinho we should have signed him, but he chose Barcelona. You know, Karim Benzema, Eden Hazard, just almost every year something like this happened. We failed to sign a major target. Um, the difference being, Ferguson or Gill wouldn't say we never wanted him anyway. Now, we did get a bit of a spin in the latter years about no value in the market and what have you, but they didn't try and take the fans for mugs and they weren't so obsessed with their image and their perception that it was just brief 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 to be briefing so i mean uh, you know the broadsheets were getting this report about renato sanchez maybe a week before Bayern sort of swept in and got the deal done themselves quite quickly if if you know we believe what we've been told and i, I just i would rather i mean I reserve the right to change my mind on this one if we're in the middle of the summer. We haven't signed you one. We haven't heard anything about any reports whatsoever. So bear with me on this one. But I would rather hear nothing and then hear a deal is done. Yeah, I mean, look, I just wish he was a lot more uh, focused, a lot more on just getting the deals done and doing his job right than how he's viewed in the press. Because you know something? Actually signing players that are going to bring success to the club 
reflects you in a far more positive light than chatting about it. So, <laughs> I don't want to go into another rant. Um, no, well, I think it's double-edged sword, isn't it? Even if Woodward brings in those players, given what we've seen from Van Aert the last couple of years, there's no guarantee they're going to be implemented yeah, well anyway, well, which is another hey, rant based. Mate, tell me, please tell me that some of the people that sent us in questions have given us something a bit more cheerful to talk about. Uh, no. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, I mean, b- before we get on to questions, just one more thing. I don't know about you, but uh, I mean, even now with top four looking incredibly unlikely and all the financial implications of sponsorship deals that could go down and the blow to perhaps incoming players of knowing that we're not in the Champions League, I still don't feel like we're any nearer to knowing what's going to happen after the FA Cup final. Are you? Um, I think the decision has been made, but I, I still genuinely feel... Um, that Van Gaal will go and somebody I believe to be Mourinho will come in but also I realise that maybe just makes far too much sense um, I don't know I I can't I can't think about that right now <laughs> it's, no that's fine yeah. Twitter questions it's fine we'll get going at the Steve Bernier asks are sports writers slash journalists the least informed so called insiders in the history of anything what do you think I think they're badly informed, quite frankly. I think because they get most of their information from club insiders who invariably either get gazumped by other teams or will feed information that then turns out to be completely untrue. Uh, It's very, very difficult to really put much stock in what some of them say these days. You've got your go-to writers that you'll get stuff from. I know you're a big fan of DiMarzio. But yeah, I think there's something to that from Steve, to be honest. I think we judge people in that sort of position more harshly because we expect them to um, know more, (laughs) if that makes sense. It's almost like when United don't sign a player that maybe some journalist, all they said was United are interested in this player and then United don't sign them, then all of a sudden the journalist is held personally responsible for the fact that the transfer didn't go through. I mean, the abuse that Graham Hunter got when we didn't sign Sergio Ramos last season was appalling. It was embarrassing because actually he never said the deal was done. He said Ramos wanted to leave. He said he had told Perez that he wanted to leave and that United were interested. All of that was true. It's not his fault the player didn't sign. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't know what he was talking about. Now, Graham Hunter's held in high esteem. So let's talk about some of the more sort of, uh, shall we say, held in a little bit less esteem kind of journalists. You know what? There is a culture of linking United to players for the sake of clickbait. But most of the journalists that are taken seriously, that do get stuff wrong from time to time, they post it in good faith. And what I'm saying by that is, you know, Miguel Delaney. We we get on really well with Miguel. Um, if United don't sign Mourinho, he's going to get untold abuse for the fact that he was the one that was driving the Mourinho team. No, not, not from us, by the yeah. way. Just <laughs> no, 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 not from us, but all because he's the most high-profile proponent of the Mourinho wants to go to United story. And are people actually mad at him? No, they're mad that Mourinho doesn't come to United in the same way that people weren't mad at Graham Hunter. Yes, I agree, there is a lot of clickbait goes around and there's a lot of proponents of clickbait and because now agents play such a huge part in things, um, you do often see players linked to clubs, and actually, it's just the United name being put out there f- to drum up further interest. I mean, we were convinced last year that United were all but certain to sign Nico Otamendi. It turns out we genuinely were never in for him. Um, so it's just one of those things. I don't think they know any less. They certainly know more than I do. Um, I think sometimes they're held to an unfair standard, but there are those that abuse the platform they have as well. Mm. At Cole J. Robinson asks, realistically, how many more years does not hiring Jose this summer set us back? One more year. <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, the good thing I think you could say about Leicester in the Premier League from our perspective is that it shows that if you get the right manager and the right players in, obviously Leicester in the Premier League is... As, as has been noticed, a 5,000 to 1 bet. That is a very freak occurrence that I'm not necessarily sure we're going to see repeated for a long time in the sense that you've got a complete outsider coming in to win the Premier League. It ha- very, 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 very rarely happens. 
But what it does prove is that winning the Premier League is not an exact science. It can be done if you bring in the right manager and if you get the right set of players. It can turn around in a heartbeat in the right circumstances. Um, it's hard not to be a little envious of the guy currently sitting in the Advil dugout or more specifically be jealous of the people whose dugout he's sitting in and because he hasn't really brought anybody in and all of a sudden they've reached two major finals and that team has instilled with more character in their little finger than we've got in our entire squad. Um, just from the ethos and the work ethic that that manager is putting into the club. Now, before we start hemorrhaging listeners... <laughs> well, it's all about the public perception, really, isn't it? You look at where Liverpool are at the moment. Yeah, they got through to the League Cup final. They're through to the Europa League final. Yeah, they, they battled back uh, against Dortmund and had a very good game against Villarreal and knocked us out on the way. Yeah, they've had some absolutely terrible league performances. But the perception around Liverpool is that they're a club on the up. That They will likely have uh, a better summer than they've had for a while, simply because Klopp, I would imagine, will be able to bring better players than Rodgers ever was. So you expect them to do even better in the league and in you know other cop competitions than they have this year as a result. And the perception for ourselves is completely the opposite. You know, We have staggered to four-slash-fifth place finish based purely on the virtue that teams around us are not being consistent enough to cut us adrift. We've had, apart from the FA Cup, we were absolutely terrible in the Champions League, terrible in the Europa League, and, you know, again, rubbish in the League Cup. The perception around us is vastly different because we have stumbled so frequently this season with the same group of players in the Van Hal. With Liverpool, it's completely different. You know, it can all, uh, in, in summary, it can all turn around very quickly with the right hire. Yeah. At underscore Taylor Ben asks, what if Van Hal was actually a good manager and was keeping this all together? Is he a terrible human being? No. But he's getting there. <laughs> I'm not sure I agree with that. I think he's just very... He's a man out of time and out of place. No, I agree with that. That that, that was slight flippancy on my part, but fair enough. Uh, I mean, if he was a good... He is actually a good manager, I guess. Sorry, I mean, he, he was a fantastic job. I am doing a fantastic job. Oh, um, if he was keeping it all together, that would be great. But we haven't seen him, you know communicate and interact with members of the press or reporters or his players in a way that we would deem to be particularly constructive for quite some time now you know you think back to a year ago in the uh, the end of seasons awards there was Van Hal, you know a little bit pissed saying you know we're going to go for it next season which was obviously part of our our theme tune earlier on this season until we wisely dropped it when it became clear that we were not going I for feel, it. I feel like we would have been falsely advertising United um but no, yeah. I mean, look, at he's he was the right appointment when he got hired, but he's been the wrong appointment for about eight months now. Yeah, well, that's exactly it, isn't it? it? It was the right thing to have hired him. Firing him sooner has been the big problem. At Jonathan underscore Novi says, LVG's apparent affinity for youth is utter crap. He only plays kids when forced to. Please comment. I think we've pretty yeah, much done that already, really, haven't we? At Will Waite asks, I'm thoroughly exasperated with how United has run. How shall I cheer myself up? Um, I, I don't know, but if you find something that works, please get in touch. <laughs> yeah, please tweet us. Uh, at Bryn Thomas Tips ask how many days until sack day? In terms of a positive way of looking at it, the day that Van Hall gets sacked is getting nearer. Yeah. When that'll happen, <laughs> no idea. But it is it is on the way. We just don't know when he won't be a manager of a club. It's going to happen in the next 12 months. That's true. Beyond that, no idea. I can't really narrow it down any more than that. Uh, at Luke Malia asks, no Champions League in two out of three seasons. Are we still a big club? Uh, this is a really interesting question. Um, in terms of infrastructure, global reputation, commercial operation, and the brand that is Manchester United, um, I think such is the nature of modern football that you don't even really need to be that successful on the pitch uh, for that to stay right there where it is. Um, we've certainly got a couple of years. We'd, ha we'd have to do fairly bad for a long time for that to be seriously dented. Um, in terms of our on-pitch success right now, you know, you're only as good as your last season, and our last couple have been pretty awful. So, Alex Whitecross asks, I have two questions. He's playing fast and loose mm. with the rules, I've got to admit. How and why? Just that. I wish I knew. No, exactly. At Arctic Reed asks, Will the board recognise that if by some miracle we get top four, it's because of others' failures, not our success? I mean, 
You'd hope you so, would, right? But I mean, you say the United Board. I mean, the United Board, in terms of who actually wields the power at the club, is vastly different than it was in years past, and, and in how we typically understand it. There's there's a board now that pretty much consists of Ed Woodward, one or two other sort of allies and lackeys, and then just them speaking to the Glazers. You've got people like Sir Alex and David Gill and Bobby Charlton who are, you know, in honorary members of the board and, and, and are in these positions of seniority but it seems to be very much just a figurehead position at the moment and, and um, as has come out during the season they don't really have any real say in the running of things anymore um, I think too much power is deferred to Ed Woodward and, and as the owners of the club trust him implicitly which is hugely hugely worrying although what I did quite enjoy in terms of board stuff was seeing uh, Ferguson go for a secret and I say that in inverted commas secret lunch with uh, Mauricio yeah, Pochettino. I take issue with that headline. I mean, it's a, a rather sense of entitlement. Um, you see it all the time. This person's secret this, this person's secret that. Uh, the word is private. And you don't get to call it a secret just because you weren't invited. <laughs> so I don't like the Daily Mail. Or was it the Mirror? No, I can't really? remember who it was. Shocking. But they're all the same. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, Ferguson is famously receptive to phone calls and dishing out advice with many of the new and upcoming managers in the Premier League and has been for some time so this it could be nothing more than uh, just going for lunch mutual admiration you know just a meeting that was set up um, but I uh, wouldn't be too surprised at all if it was a, a very cleverly designed photo opportunity by um, Ferguson as well he looked very very happy to see the paparazzi if, if we're going to go for completely outlandish theories I'd love it if Ferguson has decided Giggs isn't quite suitable for the job or has decided that it's not feasible to actually get him to have the job and has decided to try and poach Pochettino instead. Who hasn't actually signed anything yet, by the way. All right, quick score prediction then, Kev, and then we'll be on our way. What do you reckon for Sunday, our last game of the season and potentially a very, very uncomfortable afternoon for Muster Louis van Gaal? 1-0 to United, but City will also win. 2-1 and City to draw, I reckon. Okay, so goal difference. Lovely. Glad that's never happened before, you and um... No, it's almost like we should have prepared for it. <laughs> Guys, thank you for joining us for yet another pod. If you're still here after an hour of us really just being not happy and complaining, we salute you. You the real MVP. Um, the only <laughs> way... Yeah, I did just say that. Um guys the only way you could go up any higher in our estimations than you already are is if you made your way over to soundcloud or itunes and left us a like or a comment or a follow or a review uh, you give us a shout out if you like what you listen to uh, as much as we love you guys we want to meet more people um and you can follow me at kev underscore lt ewan where are you uh, at ewan lennart fantastic and if you want me to spell that i don't know that's yeah. a lot of effort for this time of night absolutely if you want to find him, you'll find him. Um, guys, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sticking around. Have a good week.